Well, let me add my greeting to the ones you've already heard. I'm just so thankful that you're here today, whether you've been here at Grace with us for many years or you've just been here for a few weeks. My name is Matt, and I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here at, uh, at Grace, and I'm so thankful to be one of the pastors. I'm so thankful to worship with you, and I'm so thankful to preach today. So as you're getting settled, let me just go ahead and encourage you. We'll just move right in. Just go ahead and take your Bible in whatever form you have it, and let's go to John chapter 18 together. John chapter 18, where today we're going to look at verses 12 to 27. John 18, verses 12 to 27, and we're going to pick up, pick up right where we left off last week. This is our practice here at Grace to, lead, to pick up right where we left off the week before. And so we're going to be in verses 12 to 27, picking up right where we left off with Jesus in the garden on the night of his crucifixion. Now, the, the scene that we have in John 18, while you're finding your place, just a little bit of context, is filled with drama and uncertainty and even violence. And, and, and at the center of it all stands Jesus, the one who is the focus of the service and the one who ought to have our attention always. And it's a really unique scene, again, filled with drama and uncertainty and violence. And, and, and what, what I want us, to, want us to gain is that in the midst of all of the characters and in the midst of all of the drama of John chapter 18, and it won't stop here. It'll just continue through the end of the book. We're on this final night. It's hard to believe. For, for the rest of, we've been in the book of John for some time, but just the way this book is structured, for the remainder of our time, we're really just dealing with a couple of days as Jesus is on his way to the cross and then will rise from the dead. And so in the midst of all of the, all of the characters and all of the drama and all of the violence, I, I, think, I think we have an opportunity to see in John 18 as we continue marching with Jesus as he decidedly marches to the cross, that what matters supremely is not finally our commitment to Jesus, which really matters, but what matters finally is his commitment to us, and that his commitment to us fuels our commitment to him. You see, the, 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 the impetus behind the Christian life is we love because he first loved us. His faithfulness brings out faithfulness in us. His patience produces patience. His mercy produces mercy. And so today we're going to see as we interact with Jesus and with one of his followers, Peter, that what matters supremely is his commitment to us. And that he is the kind of Savior who can clean up what we mess up. That he is the kind of Savior who speaks over us, no condemnation for those who are in me. And that he is the kind of Savior who, when we have bro been broken apart, he puts us back together. And that he is the kind of Savior who looks at us and says, okay, time to move on. He's this gracious and he's this faithful. And we're going to see it starting in verse 12 of John chapter 18. As you're able, would you stand? Let's, let's read the passage and let's begin to explore these things together. Encourage you, you can access the sermon notes on the app that was referenced in the service or you can get a hard copy on the table back there. You can jump back and uh, grab one, won't bother me at all. We're going to start in verse 12 and read down to verse 27. The words will be on the screen. Just follow along as I read from uh, the English Standard Version and preach from that version today. Starting in verse 12, just follow along as I read John chapter 18, 
Starting in verse 12, God's word says this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, "'You are also not one of this man's disciples, are you?' He said, "'I am not.' So the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is God's word. Let's pray together and ask for God's blessing on our time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see wonderful things from your word. I pray that you would transform us, convict us, mold us more into the image of Jesus. Help us to see him. May he have our attention. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your seats, friends. Thanks. Now, We're jumping right into the middle of this drama, and there's a lot of familiarity here. Uh, What we have here is Jesus, and we have one of his disciples, Peter, and what is recorded is the three denials of Peter. And again, this is pretty well known, and there's a a couple of ways to to break down this passage. One way way to get at it is to to just begin to, to understand as we start that everything happening in verses 12 to 27 is happening simultaneously. So it's all happening at the same time. So while Peter is outside doing what he's doing, Jesus is inside having what's having happened to him happen to him. And so one, one obvious way to break down the passage would be to just break it down scene by scene. So that's kind of, you could just see it as a camera moving around. So scene one would be, would be Jesus is arrested. Scene two would be Peter's first denial. Scene three would be Jesus questioned by Annas. And scene four would be Peter's second and third denials. That's one way to, that's one way to get at it. And that's a really easy breakdown. But the more I studied it, 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 just, it, it, made, it was just became incredibly clear to me that actually what's happening here is that there's actually two people on trial. Jesus is on trial, and Peter is on trial. And the contrast could not be greater between the two. Both are asked questions. Both are given an opportunity to speak the truth. One of them should have our attention, and one of them should be an example of what not to do. And, and I, just, I just want to start at the beginning. Peter, Peter's a really well-known disciple of Jesus, and he ought to be for many reasons. He features very prominently in the Gospels, and that has to do with his personality. Um, he, uh, uh, you, you just have to love Peter, okay? He, uh, he's brash. He's bold. He's always listed first among the list of the disciples, and so he had a level of prominence. But we're going to see him here, and we're going to see him 
really need the redemption that only Jesus can give. And so with that outline in mind, I want us to consider Jesus on trial and then Peter on trial. That's our outline today, Jesus on trial and Peter on trial. And for each, I want to make two, two comments driving us to our main point at the end. So first, let's consider Jesus on trial. And we're going to jump around the scenes a little bit. And what I want us to see first is that while on trial, Jesus rules. Jesus rules while on trial. Christmas is coming up, and I know it's not Thanksgiving, but Christmas is coming up, okay? Um, and and all, what we'll sing at Christmas time uh, with the song Silent Night are the words, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. But, but, but the fact remains that, that we ought to sing and say, Jesus, Lord at thy arrest. Jesus, Lord at thy trial. If you just, what words ought, you, ought we to use to describe, really, really what we're saying is the demeanor and the attitude and the mindset of Jesus, really starting in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 18 in the garden and going all the way down to verse 27. I think words you could use to describe Jesus would be calm, confident, poised, steady, decided, courageous. Now, the opposite of each of these ought to be used to describe Peter, but more on that in just a minute. Jesus' actions in the garden and his words and demeanor before Annas in verses 19 to 24 do not portray a helpless victim with no control. He is Jesus, Lord at thy arrest. Let's think about it like this. Why, why is Jesus, just going back a little bit, con- considering the whole drama together on this last night of Jesus' life, why, why is Jesus in the garden starting in verse 1? Well, he's not in the garden to hide. He's in the garden to be found. And, and, and then why, why and, and, and then in verses 12 to 14, he's, a, he's formally arrested, okay? So, based on everything Jesus says, and putting together just a few other things that he says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, why is Jesus arrested? The answer is because he allows it. One of the most frightening things Jesus ever says, Peter does his thing, pulls out his sword and chops off a guy's ear. More on that in just a second. And Jesus says in Matthew's account, Peter, put your sword away. Couldn't I not at once call down 12 legions of angels? Now, I, you know, now, now these soldiers have people with them. We learned last week, maybe a couple of hundred, uh, hundred at least. Um, so I, we don't have to count up how many 12 legions is, but it's more than what these guys have. Does this sound like a, it sounds like he's in total control of the situation. If I wanted my, at my disposal is the armies of heaven. If I wanted them to come and handle business, they would. Instead, I'll let people who ought to bow to me bind me. Jesus rules at his trial. As we continue through the book, I want to encourage us to remember some very important words that Jesus already said. John 10, verses 17 to 18, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I received from my Father. Jesus rules while on trial. And so Jesus is officially arrested in verse 12. So the band of soldiers and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now first, there's a couple of characters we need to know about. First, he's led to Annas, for he was the father-in-law, character number two, of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. The relationship between these two needs to be explained just a little bit. Annas Annas was the previous high priest who had served in that role for quite a while. Just think of the high priest as 
um, it, it, within the Jewish court system, he's kind of a mixture of, a, of all of the branches of government put together. He's just like the leading, uh, the leading religious figure. He would lead the Sanhedrin. He would sit in, in, uh, in authority over court proceedings, Jewish court proceedings. So for a number of years, Annas had served as the high priest. Uh, and even after him, his sons had served as high priests. A few years before this, the Romans installed Caiaphas, Annas' son-in-law, to continue because nothing like keeping things in the family, right? And so, and so Annas is something like, it seems, he, he still wields a pretty high level of authority and influence. So he's not the official high priest, he's sort of the unofficial high priest. Okay, he's sort of the throne behind the throne, okay? So Jesus goes to him first, all right? There in, the, in, in just the courtyard of the, of the high priest is what it was called. And then after that, he's going to go to Caiaphas to be tried, the official high priest. Now, John doesn't record that, but the other three gospels do. John's account is very quick, very succinct. He goes to Annas, and then from there, he goes to Caiaphas. Okay, and Caiaphas plays a larger role in the actual verdict that's pronounced over Jesus as he goes to Pilate soon. Now, it's important for us to remember that all of this is happening at the same time. So while Jesus and another disciple in verse 15 are following behind, Jesus is then led to Annas. Let's look at verse 19. Let's look at verse 19. We see that the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus' answer shows us that not only does Jesus rule while on trial, but Jesus hides nothing while on trial. Jesus has nothing to hide while on trial. Look at verse 20. Then Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Now, now Jesus' whole point is, I, I've, been, I've, I've, I've had complete integrity with what I've said. Two words to note. He says, I've said nothing in secret, and I've said everything openly. Jesus has been very clear from the beginning of his three-year ministry and all of the things he was teaching in and around the temple about who he was and about the response that everyone ought to have to him. He has not been, <laughs> he has not been secretive. He's been clear. He has not been concealed. He's been open. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Anyone? Anyone? Jesus tells his disciples in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but puts it on a stand to give light to everyone in the house. Well, Jesus was the first one to do that. He shone the light everywhere. And, and notice, just notice what's punctuated in verse 20. Look down, look down at the text. I want to show you this. Notice Jesus' use of the personal pronoun I. I have spoken openly. I always taught in the synagogues. I have said nothing in secret. Ask those who heard me what I said to them. It's almost awkward the way he's saying it. He's trying to point out, they know what I said. Annas asks about his disciples. Jesus doesn't say a word about his disciples. Jesus says, this is about me. This is about me. Now, this response of candor and of freedom of speech to announce who he is and what he's done clearly brings a response in verse 22. Jesus is struck on the face by one of the men standing around who's helping, helping get Jesus where he is. He says, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, what I, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Now, what is Jesus asking for in verse 23? He's asking for a fair trial. <laughs> he's not saying let me go. 
He's saying, put me on the stand. If there, he uses this legal term, witnesses. Where are the witnesses? Where are the witnesses? Now, we need to just pull over and just remember that the trial of Jesus isn't exactly legal. There's a number of elements that a, a Jewish trial had to meet. Uh, it was not supposed to happen at night. This is at night. Annas should not even be a part of the process. It was not supposed to happen on a Sabbath or around a feast day, both of which are happening here. Witnesses had to be present from the very beginning. And later, witnesses are called, but they can't agree, which means that Jesus should have been let go and the charges dropped. But very clearly here, the leaders do not have in their mind justice. They have in their mind expediency. Do it quick. And when speed is your goal, means are not nearly as important. And so to them, they just want to get this done. But Jesus says, bring it. Where are the witnesses? Give me a fair trial. You see, he's not trying to get off the hook. He's trying to stay on it because he knows where he's going. Friends, Jesus is on trial and will receive his verdict of guilty so that we do not have to. So he must do this. He must. So even here, we see the gospel. Not only does Jesus rule while on trial, but Jesus hides nothing while on trial. After all, what does he have to hide? If I have to go to court for something, um, I did once. Don't get nervous. Um, I, um, it's, it's all good. It's, um, I, I had to go for jury duty. So I was in the, I was, I was, I was, it was, I, I had turned 18. Three months later, I got called to go to jury duty. Pick somebody else, man. There's a bunch of us, you know? And so I had to sit on a traffic case. But if you, but if you go into, if you get charged for something and you have to go to court for it, you may be innocent of it, but you're not sinless, right? Everybody who's ever had to go on for court may have been guilty or innocent, but whether they were guilty or innocent, they weren't sinless. So the only reason Jesus can say this way is because he's the only person who's ever been tried who's innocent and sinless, and that's, and, that's, and that's our whole hope. That's Jesus on trial. Now, number two, are, are, you, are you ready for a contrast? Peter on trial. I just, I just want to say, I love Peter. I love that he's in the Bible. I love that his example is given. I love that he opens his mouth and inserts his foot. I, I'm just grateful. I'm really grateful. And so let's figure out why we ought to be. If Jesus hides nothing, then Peter denies everything. He famously does this three times with increasing intensity. All four Gospels record it, and the rest of the New Testament chronicles Peter's continuing role in the spread of the Gospel. Let's jump back into the scene. And we want to consider first that Peter's denials start small but grow large. Peter's denials start small, but they grow large. Like all sin, or with all sin, repetition is a killer. Brothers and sisters, I want to say that we should, as we consider Peter here, let's remember that we should repent of sins. We should not repeat sins. And Peter shows us this. In verse 15, we have this amazing amount of, of detail. It's very clear, starting in verse 15, that this was written by somebody who was there. So just, just very, very quickly, we see there Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, it's, it's universally recognized that this other disciple in John, you'll see him pop up other times throughout the rest of the book, is the author, John the Apostle. And it's just his way of just inserting himself in there. 
Okay, so that's, this is John, and clearly he was there for this. Just look at the detail. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. It's just a, an, an impressive amount of eyewitness detail. I mean, it's, it's just very clear that this man was there, and it's going to get even more detailed when we talk about the fire here in just, in just a few minutes. And so we see here, we need, to, we need to understand that Peter's denial starts small, but they grow large. And we see there in verse 17, denial number one, the servant girl at the door, so Peter, there's a, kind of a little guard that has to help him, there's an entryway, okay? So, the, so the, the disciple has connections, and he says, all right, Peter, you come with me. Hey, this guy's with me, is what's happening. Okay, you're, he's with me. And the servant girl just quickly says, hey, are you one of his disciples too? Peter says, no, I'm not. Now, that, that seems fairly innocent, right? Like, okay, I got I to gotta get into the courtyard. Let's stop wasting time. No, no, no. I just, I just give him a quick answer and go on. But then we see that it increases. Are you not one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Verse 18, second and third denials from Peter. Now, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now, happening at the same time, just jump down to verse 25. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. We're right back to where we were in verse 18. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? Essentially the same question. So Peter's got another chance. He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, now, now, now this is interesting, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Three times with increasing intensity. Now, John's gospel stands on its own, but it's very clear from Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Peter becomes increasingly exasperated over this. I do not know the man. I don't know him. Peter is not just denying Jesus. He's lying about who he is. He is disassociating himself from the Lord. And he's got all of this time to get it right. He's got three chances. And it continues to compound. He does not stop himself. He's thinking about his own life. Clearly, preserving his own life is more important to Peter than his commitment to Jesus. Clearly, Peter's own life and his own status is more important than his continuing commitment to Jesus. Now, I, I think that's got to be the case. I think Peter is thinking about his own life. I think he's thinking about his own life is more valuable than his faithfulness to Jesus, and it's not. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. We lay down our life for Jesus. He is better than life. We will give our life for him. I think this is what he has to be thinking because this last question is, did I not see you in the garden? What did Peter do in the garden? He took out his sword and pulled, you know, it cut a man's ear off. Okay, now hold on a second. I can't think for one moment that Peter pulled out his sword and said, I'm going to cut his ear off. I think he was trying to kill the man. Okay, so Peter could be in really big trouble here. Perhaps he just tried to, just tried to kill someone. That wasn't part of the sermon. I don't know what that was. Okay. <laughs> Not yet. No, no, I'm just kidding. So, so I think Peter's thinking about, he's certainly thinking about preserving his own life. And this leads us to the second note we need to make, and that is that Peter's denials reveal his need for the one he denies. You know, what, something really fascinating about the three denials of Peter, Three, Peter's three denials is that Jesus predicted it would happen. 
If you look back with me quickly, just, just look back with me in John chapter 13 if you can. Just a few pages over. I'll read this quickly. John 13 verse 36. John 13 verse 36. We read this. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Wouldn't you love to see the look on Jesus' face? But, but here's why we ought to love Peter, friends. Peter is like every one of us. He speaks better than he lives. I do too. I speak better than I live. And it's very important that we not forget that about each other. That our, uh, that our resolve runs in front of us. That there's always a gap in reality between who we really are and the ideals that we want to live up to. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Uh, with whatever look Jesus had on his face, John 13, verse 38, Jesus answered, "Will you, you will lay down your life for me. Now let's stop right there. You know what Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand? Peter, you will not die for me. I will die for you. Peter, you, <laughs> bless your heart. I, you will not die for me. I, greater love has no one than this that one lays down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus will do in just a moment. Peter's denials reveal his need for the ones that he denies. Jesus is going to the cross to do what? To make atonement for sin. Sin like Peter's and sin like ours. Peter, you will die for me? No, Peter, I will die for you. Now that should lead us to what I hope is just the message in a sentence. You see it there at the bottom of your notes. And I really want us to just understand today, friends, that Jesus died and rose to forgive and restore all kinds of sinners. With him, there is no condemnation. Jesus died and rose to forgive and restore all kinds of sinners. With him, there is no condemnation. So let's be in the plane together and let's land just with this final thought. How, how would you like, let's think about it like this. How would you like for your biggest mistake to be written down for lots of people to read for a long time? And, and that's the case for Peter. And look, we should not deny the fact that Peter's denials are a colossal failure. Each of the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record. Luke, well, let's, Luke specifically says that when the rooster crows, Jesus somehow, remember, because he rules at his trial, turns and looks right at Peter in the eye. And it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter, the rock, crumbles before our very eyes. I wonder what Peter thought. I, I would imagine Peter thought, well, I'm done for. He's, on, he's, he's probably going to be killed. I just denied him. I'm done. I'm done. That would not be a dramatic fault. It would not be an overreaction. His master is about to be killed. That, that is not an overreaction. And I think it's really easy for us. He, here was the temptation I had to face all week studying this passage. Let me just bring you, just welcome into my study for, for a little bit, okay? The temptation I had all week was to think, man, that's really bad, Peter. I would never do that. Do you do this? Do you, do you have enough self-awareness to, to know that you're not like sinless, but like at least I don't sin like him? I, I do. And look, uh, we shouldn't do what Peter did. We should take every opportunity, big or small, to confirm our allegiance to Jesus. In front of a young servant girl or in front of a big crowd, we should take opportunities to out ourselves. I follow Jesus. So, whatever comes after.
We, we, we should not do this. We should not lie about what we say is the deepest commitment of our lives, our commitment to Jesus. And Lord, forgive us when we do, and he does. So why is this written down in Scripture? Not a command to do what Peter did, but as an encouragement to trust in Jesus, the one who died and rose to forgive and restore all kinds of sinners. Don't each of us have our own particular reasons to be bursting with gratitude over the fact that Jesus died and rose again? And so it's written down in Scripture as an, as an encouragement to believe that in Jesus there is no condemnation now or any other time. An encouragement that to believe with Jesus, clearly, failure is not final. And the reason we know this is because this is not the end for Peter. The next time we meet Peter in John, he's at a tomb, and there's nobody there. He runs away because he doesn't really get what's happening, and then the next time we meet Peter is on a beach because he and a couple of the other disciples, not putting everything together at this point, look, I, I know these are ancient cultures, but they believe the same thing we do. People don't come back from the dead. It, they had to get this too. They had, just because they didn't have cell phones doesn't, doesn't mean that's any easier to believe. And so they go fishing. It's what, it's what, they, know, it's what they know. So G, Peter's out on the boat. He may think it's over. It, it seems to me that he's gone back to his old life. Right? I think he's gone back to his old life. And, and so we go from a tomb to a beach, and on the beach, suddenly Jesus appears. And, one of them, and, and he calls out, Catch anything, kids? And one of them says, that's the, that's the Lord. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and starts swimming. Maybe he thinks it's walking on water part two. I don't know. But he, he jumps out and he swims to him. And they have this breakfast. And, and what does Jesus, this is all in John 21. What does Jesus do? Three times. He looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Why? Because he denied him three times. This isn't random. That moment is about this moment. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You're, you're, you're bothering me now. Why? Three times. He doesn't ask him four. He asks him three. He doesn't ask him two. He asks him one. To say to Peter and to each of us, Peter, you messed it up, but I'll clean it up. Peter, there's no... He's restoring Peter. He's picking him up. He's dusting him off. And he's saying, time to move on. And Peter plays this increasing role in the rest of the church. And so today, I want each of us to hear from the story of Peter that Jesus relates to us as personally as he did to him. And the same Jesus still has the ability to clean up what we mess up. You may have failed big time. And to quote the Bible, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Is this not what makes Christianity this, so sweet? That with Jesus, no matter what we've done before our conversion or after, okay, now there's a lot we could say here. There's a lot about perseverance and holiness. Okay, but isn't it, isn't it not the good news that there is always more mercy in him than there is sin in us? I'm not sure how I can stand if that's not true. So I want us to know today that he has the ability, if we, have, if we have been crumbled, if we have been crumbled this week, he can put us back together. 
And with him, failure is not final. With him, there is no condemnation. This is the good news. Now, I want us to take just a minute, and I'm going to lead us to pray. You can close your things up there, and I'm going to lead us to just have a time of prayer. It's right there in your seats. And I'm going to give us just a couple things to think about here as we close. Let's think and let's pray just right there in our seats. So something we may want to pray as we think about who Jesus is in this passage, what Peter has done, and who we are as sinners like him. So we may just want to, we may just want to be there, and we may just want to pray, Lord, can you, can, you clean up, can you clean up what I've messed up? Lord, can you clean up what I've messed up? I know you can. Maybe that's something we need to pray today. Maybe we need to pray, Lord, I, I feel like I've broken apart. I feel like if I ever was a rock, it's been crumbled. Can you put it back together? Can, can you, by your grace, put me back together, please, Lord? Can you, can you say to me that, can you say to me that I have a future? It's so easy, Lord, Lord, as we just pray and think, it's so easy for us, Lord Jesus, to just, just blow it big time. And to think, that's it. That's it. But we know it's not true with you. Lord, maybe another thing we could pray to you would be, I, I, I did not come in here today believing these things about Jesus, but, but I do feel broken, and I do want him to put me back together. So perhaps we should just reach out and say, Jesus, do this. I, I, I believe that you died and rose, not just for all those sinners, but for this sinner. And Lord, perhaps we need to simply pray gratitude, bursting with gratitude that you died and rose to forgive all kinds of sinners. So Lord, give us just a moment here as we pray these things and meditate. Lord, we want to pray to you, Lord Jesus, personally, the one whose body was not in the tomb, the one who restores and forgives. Let's, let's end by praying where we started, how great you are. As Carol shared in her testimony, you, you say the same Jesus who says, I could call down 12 legions of angels, says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. You, you are Jesus magnificent. You are overwhelmingly great. Oh, for a thousand tongues for each of us to have to announce how great you are. With Peter, it was not the end. And Peter still had growth. Lord, in our, in our Christian lives, and our walk with you, it is progress. It is not perfection. But Lord, even in that, there is hope. Even in that, on, we know that we can go back to the cross and back to the res- resurrection, pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and keep going because you have work for us. And so Lord, I pray that we would take these thoughts, take these brief prayers and continue to roll them around in our mind in whatever ways we need. Maybe we need to talk to our community group leader after this or a trusted friend, someone discipling us and say, I, I just feel like I failed in this way. Will you help lead me to the Lord and help, and help me see again his grace? Lord, in, Lord in, in the thousand ways we could apply this, would you minister to us as a church? And Lord Jesus, we pray these Again, so that we can meditate on your commitment to us in order that that may fuel our commitment to you.
And so, Lord, in just a moment, we're going to leave and we're going to talk and we're going to chat. We're going to get coffee. Please, may our thoughts consistently be on the greatness of your grace and on your mercy, that there is always more mercy in you than there is sin in us. Preach this good news to us by your spirit, we pray that you would do. In Jesus' great name, amen. Amen, friends. Amen.